0: What's up, everybody? It's Keith, uh, and not Mike, because Mike is upstate doing rehearsals in uh, a new musical, or an old musical. Well, it's a musical. Anyway, uh, point being, we're not dropping a regular episode into your feed today because we wanted to uh, give our final finale episode its full due with all of our full attention and having all of our preparation done. Because we have a lot of fun stuff. Uh, and it's gonna be our last episode, right? The absolute last episode of the Outer Practice Podcast, which we are all, uh, we are all, I am wistful about. Um, but, um... Uh really looking forward to it, but we're not going to drop it this week. We're going to drop it the following week uh, at some point once we are able to record all of it. The episode will include uh, sort of a recap of the entire series. We're going to talk through all the characters. We're going to talk through our favorite episodes and our least favorite episodes. And we're going to debut The Practice, the Broadway Musical, Did Not Get to Broadway, So uh, lots of fun stuff coming up, but I didn't want to leave a a blank space in the feed uh, here as we're finishing up. So uh, what I'm going to do this week is just drop in a little nugget from something that never was, something that never became. Um, Mike and I, a couple of years ago, I mean now almost three years ago, we're discussing the possibility of doing another show that we would... um, basically tell stories from our lives and be a little bit more personal but it was a good it kind of didn't work out because in order to be truly personal we couldn't really do it publicly (laughs) so uh it, it gets complicated anyway um but we did spec out a couple of ideas and one of the ideas that i uh spec'd out was a story about uh, the hockey brawl I was in in the summer of 2004, which I mentioned last episode in This Day in the Summer. Um, and this season in Season 8 of The Practice, we had the episode about the the hockey fights, and I had a lot of feelings about it. And I think this will explain uh, a lot more about my feelings about hockey and fighting and all that fun stuff. So uh, I'm just going to drop in this... Uh, It's about 20 something minutes. uh, A story about the hockey brawl that I was a part of the summer after the practice finished. Um, It's different. Obviously, it's sort of like a This American Life sort of a deal. Um, So it's, and it's, I don't know. I I hope you enjoy it. If not, uh, don't worry about it. Just uh, ignore this, and we will be back next week with the series finale the oopsie spectacular, spectacular, the end of the out of practice podcast talking all about the entire series of the practice. Until then, uh, you know, here's me talking about myself, because, you know, that's what you're here for. From the day I was born, I spent my Saturday nights watching hockey with my family. Specifically, Hockey Night in Canada, which we received with rabbit ears beamed down across the border from Montreal. Being as rural as we were, CBC, Channel 6, was one of only three channels we could receive. Four if you count CBC French on Channel 2. Because we were getting the Montreal broadcasts, we were forced to watch the hated Canadians. Boo! but we were happy to root for whichever team was playing the Habs, Boo, that night. Those of you who aren't familiar with hockey might be surprised to hear that fights are a part of the game. Real live fist fights routinely break out during the run of play, and they are so integrated into the sport that there are specific rules and penalties in place to adjudicate the fisticuffs. If you square off against a willing opponent, the worst that happens to you, other than being punched in the face repeatedly, is that you both have to sit in the penalty box for five minutes and think about what you did. While it seems barbaric and chaotic, there are a series of unwritten rules to fighting. It's known as the code. The basic principles of the code are set up to make fighting as fair and as safe as possible. You don't fight two players against one. You don't use your stick or skates. You don't fight an unwilling combatant unless he really deserves it. If a player has been injured, you stop. You don't fight the goalies or the stars on the other team unless you're willing to get beat up by their tough guy, or goon in hockey terms. Fans of fighting and hockey, myself included, would argue that fighting counterintuitively makes the game safer. Hockey can be dangerous and players can be severely injured by knee-to-knee hits or being slammed headfirst into the glass that rings the arena known as boarding. When players need to express their displeasure with their opponents, pretty common in a sport when you are not just allowed to, but encouraged to slam into each other at great speeds, it's much safer to tire each other out throwing punches that are hard to land with much force when you're both standing on ice, than elbowing someone in the head or tripping them into a wall by surprise when they're skating at 20 miles an hour. Back when I started watching hockey, fighting was much more frequent. In fact, For much of the 100-year history of the NHL, when things got particularly heated, you might get to witness the glory and spectacle of a bench-clearing brawl. A bench-clearing brawl is exactly what it sounds like. Sometimes it's not just enough to have two players fighting, or even everyone on the ice called a line brawl, which would be 5-on-5, or even enough to have everyone's favorite, the goalie fight, in which two angry men try to fight each other through a sofa's worth of pads. Sometimes you just need everyone to fight. The entire rosters of both teams would flood the ice and pair off like a middle school dance. By the end, the ice would be strewn like a battlefield with abandoned equipment. Sticks, gloves, helmets, elbow pads, and frequently, in those days, jerseys. The referees could do nothing to stop the chaos. They resorted to skating around with a note card, just writing down the numbers of the fighters to know who to penalize and for what. After three or four minutes, or twenty, there would be a mass of exhausted, shirtless, and sometimes bloody combatants, finally ready to resume playing the game. Oh, Hunter wants Linsman. Miller down on McCray. Mahler and Markwart still going. Oh, Hunter has Raymond Bork. It's Raymond. I don't want you. I want Linsman. Oh. one could get ugly we got Miller sitting on a kid in the corner with the goaltender uh, look at Roachford held on to Linsman, so Hunter here we go, go. The number of uh, the player that Cam uh, Neely wanted, but he got him. Well the Foster got him. Nearly grabbed him, Foster decked him. That was the one that but jumped Foster, I think it was Barnley <laughs> This is long from over. This is not gonna end easily. You'll note two things in the audio. One, the organist playing along to accompany the chaos. And two, the first guy to leave the bench is Harvard-educated Don Sweeney, who is now currently the buttoned-up general manager of the same Bruins. Cam Neely is currently the team president. Sadly, after that final brawl between the Boston Bruins and the Quebec Nordiques in 1987, the NHL finally put a stop to it by instituting a mandatory 10-game suspension for leaving the bench during an altercation. Okay. Okay. Now that you're an expert in hockey fights, let's go back to my family. When hockey was on, there was a family code. The minute there was the hint of something breaking out, we would all shout, FIGHT! And everyone in the house would run to the TV to watch the dance. My father loved, and still loves, the fights. He'd wax eloquent about Terry O'Reilly and the Big Bad Bruins or the Broad Street Bullies, and together we watched our 80s heroes like Cam Neely, who you heard before, and villains like Claude Lemieux duke it out. We also played hockey as a family. My father played in high school in the 60s and taught myself and my two brothers when we were kids. My younger brother became a very serious player who played all through high school and college and got as far as playing junior A hockey, which features players who have a realistic shot at playing professionally. He was a big, strong defenseman who had a reputation from the age of about 10 of being a devastating hitter, particularly behind the net, We have many home movies of a 12-or-so-year-old boy just laying out unsuspecting kids who were learning the difference between a checking league, i.e. where hitting was allowed, and a non-checking league in which it was not allowed. My family would all go to the games and revel in the giant hits my brother would lay on opponents. There was no fighting at the kid level, of course, and no fighting allowed in high school or college hockey either. But in juniors, he started fighting. Or, as it's called in hockey dropping the gloves. My father loved it all. Some of my brothers games were even broadcast over the radio. Barney, in the near corner, he's taking off the fuck. The titans gain control in the wolves end. moose puck who's going to get there first varney losing his helmet uh, here we now go. we have Manamed going after a man in the corner and it's varney throwing punches left and right he has someone pinned on the ice i'm not sure scott varney is just a man on the mission right now he looks possessed out there as he was wailing on number 10, Mark Toussaint, who's lying head first on the ice, and I believe Toussaint took a few punches there right on the cranium. Well, Toussaint started off with a cross check, taking the helmet off of Varney. No call was made. Uh, I believe it was number 17, I can't really tell, who jumped in. Chris Manimet jumped in, and then Varney just started laying, uh, laying some haymakers down on Toussaint, who was trying to gather himself and his equipment over in the corner. This clip was played frequently in our house. Meanwhile, I was devoting my life to musical theater, opera singing, Star Trek. As my younger brother was scoring goals and lowering his shoulder, good technique to lay someone out, I was playing Wilbur the Pig in Charlotte's Web. Growing wispy sideburns to play Kanicki in Greece, and working my way through 24 Italian songs and arias with my singing teacher. Don't get me wrong, my father is a passionate music and theater fan too. He could not have been more supportive of my music and theater passions. He cries at musicals just as much as I do. But there's something to be said for watching your son lay a good body check or land a haymaker. I played sports in middle school, soccer mostly. I stopped in high school for two reasons. A, I liked music and theater better, and B, I got horribly bullied by my teammates and thus had a miserable time playing. I had a moderate amount of athletic talent, enough to be the worst player on the best team, but I was too nervous to use it. But, for a couple of years after I graduated from opera school, I had my athletic moment. After all three sons had left the nest, my father started playing hockey again in a casual amateur hockey league run by an ex-NHL player. They had divisions for all experience levels. This was co-ed hockey, with players with age ranges between 18 and 70. There was definitely no fighting. There was no checking. In fact, in Division Three, where my father played, some players could barely stay upright on their skates sometimes. But he could throw on a jersey and play every week and have a blast. My older brother soon joined him. Like me, he'd played on the pond plenty, but had never played an organized game of hockey, in a real rink with refs and goalies, in his life. But he soon was playing alongside our father every Tuesday night. Not to be left out, during the summers between college and for a couple of summers after, I would join them on the team and passionately loved playing. To round out the family, my younger brother would occasionally join us and play goalie. He couldn't play in his regular position because it would have been as unfair as a Broadway performer showing up to audition for a middle school play. I feel like I should re-emphasize just how amateur this amateur league was. A bad high school team would obliterate us. A decent middle school team would probably shut us out. But within this insanely small and limited world, I was finally a jock. I led my team in goals and in penalties. I was able to work out my aggression on the ice and was perfectly willing to take an occasional or not so occasional penalty for hitting a player who crossed the line with a dirty play. And if you crossed it with my father or one of my brothers, I was coming for you. I loved developing a nemesis on the ice. You need to be careful in your selection of a nemesis at this level. You need to pick on someone who's roughly your age, size, and ability. You don't want to lay someone out and realize you just slammed into a 60-year-old librarian named Linda. It was distinctly not that type of a league. You didn't want to be the asshole pushing around someone who could barely pass the puck without falling down. My rule was always to pick on someone stronger or better than I was, who had already done something mean to one of my teammates. It was always about revenge, never something I started. Then, you look for opportunities to throw a shoulder or accidentally get a good hit in. Remember, checking was not allowed. That said, when I had a good battle going, I was happy to take a penalty or three. I developed my own technique for revenge hits. I would get the puck then intentionally pass it to my nemesis. And, as they stared at their feet to collect the puck, wondering why I'd given it to them, I'd knock them on their ass. It's more fun than almost anything I can think of. Here is one I did to a guy who slashed my older brother. Trust me, he deserved it. Note my mother's commentary as she filmed me going to the penalty box. Again? Again? This leads me finally to the famous Varney Brawl of 04. There had never been a fight in the history of this league. Certainly not Division Three. It had never even been conceived of. But that night, I had the best nemesis I'd ever had. It began in the first period. I was skating towards the opponent's net with the puck, hoping to get a shot on goal. That's when this jerk does one of the things that fighting is supposed to prevent. A dirty knee-to-knee hit that sends me, the opera student without health insurance, flying ass over tea kettle, as my grandfather would say. He went to the penalty box before I got a chance to get up and confront him. But I took his number. That's hockey code for making a note to get revenge on someone who's wronged you. A few minutes later, I caught him behind the play and just gave him a little push and said something like, dude, that was dirty. Don't be kneeing people in this league. He didn't say anything. But when I turned away to follow the play, he reared back and two hands slashed me in the back of the legs with a stick. I was not expecting this. Okay, I thought. Number taken. Again. I kept playing because it was a playoff game and too important to spend most of it in the penalty box. I bided my time. Number taken, but not forgotten. The score was 2-1 to one at the tail end of the game. The clock was counting down the last 10 seconds when I made my move. My patented revenge play. I got the puck. I looked up and he was about 30 feet in front of me. This was my chance. I passed him the puck as neatly as if he were a teammate. Surprised, he looked down to collect it. I charged with the rage of a thousand suns. He was about two inches taller and a good 30 pounds heavier than I was. But I sent him flying. A good, clean check that, were this a league where checking was allowed, would have been a great open ice hit. There was only one ref for this game. She was a young college student who was probably making a few bucks as a summer job. I don't really know, but it felt like this was one of her first few games. She didn't blow the whistle or call a penalty. I don't know if she missed it or it was so unexpected she didn't know what to do. Knowing my nemesis was probably not going to take this well, I skated back towards the play and tried to act innocent as he got back up. By the time he was on his feet, I was on the other side of the ice. The puck went past him, but he didn't give a shit about the game anymore. He charged me at full speed all the way across the ice. I knew he was coming, so I was prepared when he slammed into me. So too was my father, who had watched the entire interaction from the bench. Before my nemesis had even gotten to me, my father had jumped off the bench, a 10-game suspension in the NHL at this point, and was in hot pursuit. By the time he arrived, he couldn't even get to us, as both teams had clustered around me and my new friend as we wrestled against the glass. My father, always creative, decided to reach his stick through the cluster of humanity and jam it down the back of his jersey. My older brother had now joined the scrum— Most of the folks on the ice were just confused. This didn't happen in this league. We shoved and swore at each other for a bit, but no punches were thrown, yet. Meanwhile, racing out of our team's net was my younger brother, the semi-professional goon, who threw off his helmet and gloves and was in search of a combatant. I believe he was saying, SOMEBODY FIGHT ME! It was terrifying to behold. Wisely, none of the middle-aged or older moms and dads who were just playing to get a little exercise wanted anything to do with this my combatant and i started to break up and things started to settle until he shoved me one last time i threw down my right glove and i believe threw the first punch in the history of this league directly into his full caged helmet i doubt he felt anything I didn't either, but discovered later that I was bleeding and still carry a scar on my knuckles from it. And that was it, really. By real hockey standards, it would barely be a roughing penalty. I started collecting all of my equipment. I picked up my gloves and stick and skated to the penalty box. I tossed my gloves over the glass and opened the door and sat down. This is when I locked eyes with my father, who had returned to the bench, We were separated by half an inch of plexiglass, but I never felt more connected to him. He was grinning up at me with a specific type of pride I'd never seen before. He nodded to me. I nodded back. It was glorious. I never even got a penalty. The poor college kid reffing was so confused and overwhelmed by the chaos, she didn't call any penalties at all. She ran the last five seconds off the clock, and the game was over. It's a tradition at the end of a playoff series to have each team line up and shake hands with their opponents before they leave the ice. Five seconds of game time had elapsed between our fight and the handshake. When my nemesis and I reached each other, we shook hands warmly and said, No hard feelings, that was fun, eh? Damn right. Watching the video of the brawl is humbling. You feel so fast on the ice. The hits feel giant. You feel like you're in an NHL game racing up and down the ice and the fight was exciting and badass. Then you see it on tape. And it looks like a couple of old chubby dudes slowly wobbling towards each other like drunk penguins ineffectually bumping into each other at the zoo. 35 seconds. And my mother's commentary isn't quite the badass call you'd hear from Jack Edwards. Thirteen. Well, 12. 12. nine. Six. Whoa, whoa, easy, easy, easy. Easy, easy, whoa. What's going on? What is going on? Good grief. And more than that. After seeing what actually happened, I see how the story of the Varney Brawl of 04 had begun slipping from fact to fable. The tale I just told is roughly true, but I noticed a few discrepancies. 1. The horrible knee-to-knee hit that started the whole thing was more of a shin-to-shin trip, though I did go flying. 2. My patented pass to the opponent that clobber him play didn't happen in this instance. The puck came to my opponent from another player. 3. I didn't stay locked in combat after he came to me. I actually backed off when the teams came together. To be fair, I did indeed go back shortly after. 4. There were actually two referees, not one. 5. They didn't run the last 5 seconds off the clock. They played while I sat in the box. On the other hand, there were a couple of things I had forgotten. 1. Somebody tried to break up the fight by playing the game is over buzzer. That's cool. 2. I had forgotten that I had a pretty badass witness in the stands. NHL Hall of Famer Martin St. Louis was there at the rink, taking in some of the action. He was coming off his Stanley Cup win, and at that point was the reigning MVP of the NHL. He was summering in Vermont, where he once played college hockey at UVM, and for reasons beyond my understanding, decided to stick around and watch a bit of our game. So now I start to question whether to revise the story to reflect some of the facts I'd forgotten. But I think no. The fable is too well-worn, too wrapped up in our family history, and frankly, just too much fun. That said, I'll probably add the nugget of the NHL legend cheering me on during my Herculean combat to the death against a mighty and terrible foe. I've done many things in my 40 years. I've won awards, starred in shows, graduated college, gotten married... My father's been proud of all of them. But I don't think he's ever prouder than when he gets asked by other players, years and years later, about the famous Varney Brawl of 04, the bench clearing brawl that I, the musical theater tenor, started. So Keith is in the box? Uh huh.